I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. David and Kellen Bartosh of Wiseacre Brewing Company are here to talk about brotherly suds, respecting beer history, and managing growth. But first, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Bolide Communications. Do you have the right messages in place to make your brewery stand out in a crowded field? Are you executing with trusted partners who know the beer industry? Are you receiving the right counsel? Bolide Communications is a creative and strategic marketing agency with decades of experience working with some of the biggest names in beer and consumer products. Bolide Communications offers a wide range of marketing services to satisfied customers, including positioning, sales collateral and POS, branding, website design, public relations, and social media. Talk with Bolide Communications today on how they can get your brewery and beer to stand out to audiences that matter. You can visit them online at bolidecommunications.com or call them directly at 973-975-3037. You already make great beer. Let Bolide Communications help with the rest. And be sure to check out BeerEdge.com for articles, to subscribe to the newsletter, and to get episodes of the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. We're also on social media at The Beer Edge. And, yes, we've expanded our This Week in Rausch Beer offerings. Not only do we have the Facebook group, you can search This Week in Rausch Beer, but we also have Twitter and Instagram accounts. Get Rauschy with us at Beer. So I have family in Middle Tennessee, and we get down there, or at least we did, a few times a year. And every time I'm in Nashville, I keep meaning to drive west to Memphis to take in the music, the food, and the beer. Wiseacre has definitely helped define that city's beer scene over the last decade, and they're doing it with a nod towards an appreciation for history, education, and smart growth. Since I just couldn't wait to get down there in person, I called up the brothers, David and Kellen Bartosh, to talk about their beers and a sense of place, and we quickly got sidetracked. In asking how they like to be identified as part of the brewery, Kellen, the younger brother, is director of marketing, although he calls himself captain of industry and teller of tales. And even though he has the education and the background to call himself a brewmaster, David chafes a little bit at that title, calling himself the head brewer instead. The conversation picks up there, midstream, with David explaining his rationale behind what he likes to be called. The brothers spoke to me from the brewery in Memphis. Just like anything, you know, it's, it's almost like the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. So it just... I mean, to me, I feel like saying you're the master of anything is just basically admitting that you're an idiot because <laughs> you're you're not you're not to the end, you know. Yeah. So, so you just prefer head brewer then? Yeah, I really am just not into titles altogether. Uh, it can be bad. Yeah, it it can be <laughs> bad. Uh, I just I don't know. I don't what like do being th- boxed in. What do you think that's <laughs> What do you think that's born from? Uh. I think it just kind of, I mean, in some degrees it it stifles creativity and it also, I think in a lot of ways it it prevents people from looking out for other parts of, you know, the business or just looking out for what's going on around you. You know, you're like, Oh, I'm just going to stay in my lane here. And even though I might have a better idea about how something else could be done, you know, I'm just going to shut up about it because, you know, that's my, my title doesn't grant me authority over there. I had about five or six opening questions that I really wanted to start with, but you're, you're talking about stifling creativity. Um, we're, we're in such this interesting part of beer right now 
where it, it it seems like there isn't a ton of innovation that's happening or like at least original innovation that's happening. It's somebody does something cool and then sure. everybody sort of rushes to follow. And, yeah. you know, years ago, I spoke to Tommy Arthur of Lost Abbey after he won the Russell Shearer Award for innovation. And, and he was really sort of banging this drum of like, what are the true new paths forward? Not just the treads that somebody else has walked, but where can you forge, forge your own path? And I'm, I'm curious for the both of you of where are you finding inspiration for creativity these days? Jamba Juice. <laughs> is that because we're recording early in the morning or is this no slushy slushy ipa i'm just being, I'm being silly <laughs> sorry fine it's yeah. you know sarcasm okay. is easier when we do these things in person but yeah that's fine. Sure. for sure <laughs> i think uh you know i there's something to be said for having other creative people around you for sure um and I feel like a lot of people that get into uh, get into working in breweries, um, you know, get into it because they want to have a, a creative outlet as well. Um, God knows none of us got into this for the pay. Um, oh, what so, are you talking about, you man? Know, I'm in journalism. I'm just, I'm raking it in. <laughs> right. I make tens right. of dollars a week. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's, uh, that that's a big part of it. I've, uh, you know, we have, my brother and I have, uh, German heritage. And I think, uh, whether it's misplaced or not, I think I derive a lot of, uh, my interest in brewing from, uh, from that side, you know, it, it wasn't, it was brief, but, you know, I went to brewing school in Germany for a while and, uh, you know, I really, I, I like German like beer culture a lot. Um, you know, I feel like it's it's mostly based on uh, like kind of a volume uh, volume type of drinking more so than like like nobody's ever like smashed in Germany except for like tourists. You know, uh, it's all like a very uh, social uh, social beverage. You know, where you know, but very flavorful, but very drinkable. So I think that's kind of where. I tend to, to gravitate. Now, I don't know about, you know, creativity. I think <clears throat> in the pendulum is all, it's kind of swinging back and forth a lot. And, um, it's tough because, you know, you gotta, ultimately we're a business too, and we have to make good decisions and, you know, can, I guess it's the chicken and the egg thing of like, what's driving our industry as a consumers or as a brewers. And I think it's always both, but, you know, as I would say Dave and, you know, certainly doesn't, he doesn't want to let the cart lead the horse. And I think that's, that's a good thing, but maybe what we're seeing some recently is that, you know, we've always made tiny bomb for eight years and that's our best selling beer by far, but there's some excitement that we're seeing from, you know, some of the more simple things that we're doing, you know, like being out in Colorado and, um, we've got a Belgian wit coming out as a seasonal. And then, you know, we're getting into Oktoberfest when the fall comes around and then an Amber ale and, you know, our distributor out there and the retailers were like so excited um, because I think they have, there's some fatigue of like all of the hazy IPAs and all of the, 
fruited sours. It's like, thank God, like it's an amber ale. Like, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't, that wasn't exciting a couple of years ago, but when people, like I was kind of showing them what we were up to in 2021, people were like, yes, an amber ale. Like, you know, I, I was yeah. kind of taken aback a little bit, but I think for us, you know, we see amber ale is super important, like in the American craft beer scene, like it, especially in the nineties and two thousands, like it, it was like a exciting beer and because people, you know, mostly had American adjunct lagers and now it's like, sweet. It's just like classic American craft beer style. I, I've asked, it it's, and that's true. And I've asked other people that on this show recently um, and in other conversations, do you think the pandemic has helped with that of people being at home and just sort of looking for stability or familiarity or just something that's, I, I, I don't know. Like when you're thinking about your 2021 calendar, did the pandemic influence it? Uh, no, <laughs> Okay. I don't think so. We, we may be, well, I think maybe early on. Um, and I'm certainly guilty of this personally too. People were like, didn't know what to do. So probably like drank a little bit extra. Mm-hmm. And so we did make some kind of stronger IPAs. Not that we're like, you know, want to be a part of somebody's downfall or something like that. But people were like, people were stressed. And, you know, I think when, you know, used properly, obviously booze can be a good thing um, as a tension reliever or something like that. Um, and that's proven by like health experts. I'm not trying to just espouse booze. It's obviously dangerous. Oh yeah. No, people. nine out of 10 doctors recommend uh, a double IPA. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, a glass of wine, always, people always think of that as like, you know, uh, well, I read this book a couple of years ago, The Blue Zones of Happiness, and like that's one of the top 15 things in the world that makes people happy. He calls it, the author called it wine at five, but he was really like, it's, you know, really just alcohol as, you know, a social lubricant and a stress reliever. Like, get together with your friends, have a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and Don't have five. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'll just say, I think we did make a couple stronger IPAs during this time, but um, or not just IPAs, but some stronger beers. We made a Doppelbach a couple times as well, but outside of that, no. <laughs> Let me back up a little bit because you were talking about culture, you're talking about heritage, you're talking about you know other people sort of leading the way, and the two of you had a beer journey together very early on. Um, uh, there's a great section of your website that I'll encourage people to, to go and look at because not only does it have a really cool map on there, but uh, it, it sort of explains out your story, at least through you know, the I don't know, 2013 or thereabouts. Um, but there's, a, there's a, a footnote in here that together uh, you guys uh, stole your parents' uh, uh, rental car and you drove to the Sam Adams Brewery while you were still in high school. Um, did you actually take a tour or did you just like stand outside and take a picture and then go home? Yeah, we took the tour. Um, <laughs> my, my dad uh, worked for Federal Express and uh, he was on a business trip to Boston. Yeah, before it was FedEx, Federal oh. Express. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, he was on a business trip to Boston and, uh, you know, one of those things where you've got a hotel room, so you just take the family anyway. Yeah. And, uh, so we were, we were all there and he was in a meeting and he took, uh, he took the train to the meeting or whatever. And so Kellen and I just 
took the keys to the rental car and went down there and, and we were, it, it, what's crazy to me now is I don't know how we found any of this stuff. Cause it was like pre-internet. Yeah, like, I, I mean, 97. Yeah. 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 Your, your dial up AOL to get through to www. We probably just like Samuel went and asked Adams, the yeah. hotel the yellow pages and yeah, just went and asked the hotel concierge how to get there. I guess so. But 30 Germania uh, street is not easy to find. Like it's not an intuitive place to, to, you know, have a brewery in the middle of, you know, houses in a neighborhood. Right. But either way you um, made it there. Okay. Yeah. So we drove there and, uh, took the tour and, uh, it was fun. It's a lot of coercion. I mean, you know, I don't know who we met the kind of outside in the parking lot, but i I was 15, but I recollect David doing the talking, you know, a lot of like um, mind games of just let us, let us get in and look around and come on, no one's going to know. And it's not a big deal and whatever. And I was the nervous 15 year old and there we went. Yeah. But you know, a, a couple of free samples of that cherry wheat and it just puts you right at ease. <laughs> Man, we used to drink that in high school all the time. <laughs> it was like Sierra Nevada pale, Sam Cherry Wheat, Pete's Wicked. Yeah, that, that honey, that honey porter too. I used to be all over that honey porter. <laughs> Peach strawberry blonde. Oh yeah, no, I mean they they were they were all great beer. I mean here uh, on the East Coast, uh, you know, we had Magic Hat Number Nine as well. That was sort of in there, yeah, uh, uh, with Cherry Wheat and a, and a, and a few <laughs> a few and a few others. Um, but what what I'm interested about is that so this was clearly a formative thing for you guys because you've put it in your bio you know, together. And then, you know, David, you, you start homebrewing uh, when you're, when you're in college, you guys travel some more for beer and eventually you get it in your head that you want to have a career in beer, be it through writing, uh, be it through education. Um, and, and I, I guess I, what, what I'm, what I'm most intrigued about is at, at some point, you know, brothers' interests differ. So when was, – was there like a cohesive moment for you two when you decided that you wanted to do this together, that there was equal yeah. amounts of passion to go into this and, you know, somebody else just didn't go into insurance or, you know, join the family business at Federal Express, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I think uh... – you know, it's, it, it all started off as like a, a hobby kind of thing for me. And a lot of it was, I mean, I'm just kind of a cheap person in general. Um, like I just, I figured out that I could make a case of beer for a lot less than I could buy it for. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of my, <laughs> that was like my introduction to brewing. Um, but you know, then, you know, pretty quickly after that, I found out that I could make way better tasting beer for less money as well. And I, I was not really uh, interested in turning my hobby into a business. Um, but I mean, the, the idea to like, you know, really make it our life's work was, uh, was Kellen's, not, not mine. Um, and, uh, you know, there was definitely some, some cajoling that had to occur for me to kind of come around on the idea. And um, I think I'm a, a good deal more, I think I'm just, I'm very skeptical by nature. So, um, you know, I, I said, well, yeah, if we're going to do this, we're going to, uh, make sure that we get a lot of training in our respective fields. And, um, you know, I was really going to make sure I drug it out. <laughs> Kellen, where did you see the promise of 
starting your own thing then? And I mean, if your brother was, was doing the, the beer making, was it just an entrepreneurial yeah. spirit in you? What was the... I think that's the short answer, but I, I mean, I think the long answer is that like, it's the story of our lives. <laughs> like, you know, David is my older brother, but not by much. I mean, less than two years. And he had always been just when he chose to focus on something, he was great at it. And I think it kind of drove my parents nuts at times because if he didn't like something, he just like wouldn't try. Like if there's a certain subject in school and he had like a interview with Harvard because he had good test scores, but he was also like a C student and really good test scores, I should say. But, you know, growing up, he was really good at chess. He was really good at racquetball. He went to cooking camp and he would, you know, find these unique things that off the beaten path where he could kind of do them by himself and focus and get great at them. So I think as his brother, like, you know, I knew there was greatness in him and he was homebrewing, you know, starting really his freshman year of college in the late nineties. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so he didn't really either. And he had bounced around a couple of jobs and I guess he was working at Kinko's, but he's still homebrewing a lot. So in, in your, anybody who hears this in their mid twenties, so like join the FedEx family. Yeah. And I did insurance before that. So you basically <laughs> nailed it. But you know, let nobody say I don't do my research before I do one of these interviews. Yeah. Yeah. This, this went a little too far. I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> but you know, I guess any, no one really knows what they want to do when they get out of college usually. Yeah. And he was homebrewing. So it was a couple months of like, I realized like, David, you got to make this homebrewing thing. Like you make it your career because you're not going to find an office job that's going to make you happy. And then after a couple of months, I was like, I don't know what I want to do either. And, you know, that's where the entrepreneurial spirit came in. I was like, you know, I, we can figure this out and do all the things. And so David, you know, kind of came back with, well, I need to go to brewing school. Like home brewing is not enough. And then, you know, I got a job with a beer distributor and I was going to grad school and, you know, David finished with brewing school and he's like, ah, that's just like, you know, theoretical, like I need some practical experience. And then he started doing it and he was like, I have so much more to learn. And I think David would still be saying, I still have so much more to learn if we hadn't just decided to pull the trigger one day, but um, yeah. What, what what strikes me as interesting is this, the way that you went around to other breweries and you visited other breweries and you, um, you know, had conversations and you sort of, you know, gleaned a lot from people who came before you, some of the, some of the early pioneers or even just some of the, the, the innovators that were out there. And again, I, I feel like, on these shows these days, I'm really being like the cranky old man. And I think it's just because I've been housebound for too long and I need to like get back out and see the world again. But I've talked to a lot of brewers that have opened up in the last couple of years and it's like, oh yeah, I did a six week internship somewhere. And I just, you know, so I'm ready to open up. Um, and it, I think that that's probably to their detriment. When you all were talking with folks early on, was it market research? Was it just for your own edification, was it with the idea of, okay, here's what works and here's how we could do it? Or was it really just to sort of be I don't know, good students of beer? I think it was all of the above. Okay. And I think certainly, you know, for our own edification, our dad, you know, really taught us to find joy in, in learning, whatever it is. And we'd make fun of him for it growing up, but I think he was able to, to pass it on. And so, you know, a lot of these other breweries are 
heroes of ours and and so certainly inspirations too and it's like if you listen to you know bands or something like it's it's a good thing if somebody's influenced by you know both Led Zeppelin and Neil Young or something like that and like you can't just do it without any reference to you know what you know paved the the path for you so there was I think kind of all the above of like wanting to learn and wanting to pay homage and wanting to get good experience all at the same time more with the Bartosh brothers in just a moment but first I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor Bolide Communications. It's a creative and strategic marketing consultancy with decades of experience working with some of the biggest names in beer and consumer products. Talk with Bolide Communications today on how they can get your brewery and beer to stand out to audiences that matter. Visit them online at bolidecommunications.com or call them at 973-975-3037. And now, back to Kellen and Devin Bartosh of Wiseacre in Memphis. It's definitely been, a, a, I would say it's mostly educational reasons, but, you know, beyond that, it's, it's a good time. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's fun stuff to do with your brother. Well, maybe, yeah, and the, and the alternative is that, you know, similar to your, the curmudgeonness that you were expressing in yourself, like we, yeah. you read an article and it's like, you know, someone on a six-week internship or like, oh, this person, this accountant followed their passion for beer to open yeah. up a brewery and people applaud it. But I always think about like, you know, what if, you know, it's like David and Kellen's passion for tax, you know, and they open a, an accounting firm, like we would be terrible accountants, but for some reason, like passion seems like it's enough for people in beer. And I, that just seems silly to me. Like you have to, you need to get good at something. Like if you expect it to work well and you need to understand like some history around it and study other people that have done it before, like you don't, you know, decide your passion for, for heart surgery and just get to, you know, perform open heart surgery. Like you have to go to medical school to learn about it. And then you, you know, you shadow a doctor and whatever, like, uh, so we felt like that was, you know, the right path. And the alternative always seems disappointing to me on paper. There's some people that are able to pull it off, I think, you know, but a lot of times it's like, it's like they don't, they're not taking this seriously. <laughs> and yeah. it is beer. It should be fun, but like it should be taken seriously. Right. Well, I mean, it's also a business. And the bigger you get, yep. you know, the more you have to think about, you know, not just yourselves and your family, but also your employees and their families and you know, your responsibility to the consumer. And I mean, there, there's, you know, heavy is the, you know, the, the head that wears the crown uh, for, for a lot of breweries, I think. Um, wh- what do you see as the hardest part of the job these days? I'll let either of you jump in on that. I mean, the pandemic is its own set of set of things. And I, mean, I think it's making it just hard for everybody around the world. And I think taking a toll on people, just a lack of, you know, ability to really interact and celebrate and connect with people is just a lot tougher. But, you know, that, that part of it aside, because I feel like that's, should be a given to most people that, you know, or listen to this or reading this. I think, you know, we have a lot of ways to improve just um, as a business and, you know, dealing with people. Like when you, you make a big plan for this business, you're going to open one day. You just don't think about um, people and, um, you know, growing like how that all works and, um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to plan just the same way you had to plan to be good at, 
making beer and selling beer and all that kind of stuff. You have to you have to plan to be good with people and um, be able to show them growth personally as well. And you know, you're kind of budgeting and planning for business, but you need to think about people too. So we, I think we've learned a lot on that front, and that's that's still probably the biggest challenge. And I, and I think we've gotten better. I hope we're getting better over time too. Yeah. And I would I would mostly agree with Kellen. Um, but also add that we're, we're operating two breweries now and mm-hmm. facilities, facilities management is just getting, uh, it's getting pretty wild. You know, I, I, you know, I feel like more often, you know, more days, something breaks than days, everything runs perfectly. Um, so yeah, I, I would just say that there's, there's a whole lot of, uh, chasing down how to do things the best way that you possibly can. Yeah. So let's talk about expansion for a minute because th- this is something that I've always been intrigued about over over the years of covering beer of when it makes sense to add new locations or when it makes sense to grow or open up new markets. And it's it's different for, for every brewery and ultimately it, it comes down to a little bit of faith, uh, but a lot of a lot of smarts and a lot of proper groundwork and and and, and good planning. Um what was the original plan for the brewery and how wildly different is it today? <laughs> you know, we did have a plan, but I also feel like, you know, once you kind of get started, you, you know, there's a whole different, like, uh, I don't know if this analogy works, but just like a different line of dominoes than you anticipated. And like, you know, once that first one starts to fall, um, you know, there is a lot of kind of reacting. I think you need to be prepared to react. So, you know, we, we, we were very intentional about the building that we found or or ended up getting. David was still making beer in Chicago. And I was like driving around town looking at buildings and we found one that, you know, we, we thought we could grow into for a while. And, um, you know, so did all the equipment selection. I mean, trying to think about growth and all that kind of stuff. But really, um, in the first year, I think we made 3,000 barrels, and then we made 9,000 barrels, and then 16,000 barrels, and then 19. And so that was, you know, the first year, 2013, was really half a year. So in about three and a half years, we had we had maxed up the whole building, and we had offsite storage and you know, we basically had plateaued making about 20,000 barrels, selling beer in nine states. And we were, we kind of, we couldn't do anything else at that point because we needed a new facility. You know, we couldn't really add new beers because that would be taking away from a beer that we were already trying to keep up with. And um, I really just skipped ahead a lot there, but that's kind of, yeah. that was like the, the short story of our original facility is like, let's grow into this, you know, for 10 years and it took us, you know, three and a half years. And so, but I guess once, once we started that path to growth, you know, we bought like a row of 80 barrel tanks and we hired some folks that moved here from Montana and Chicago, um, experienced production people. And then, uh, it, it, it took off. And I think anything that we had like on paper before we opened was just like, well, forget that. Like, this is what we're doing now because the opportunity was there. Yeah, the, the tap room was kind of a funny part, too. And I think 
that's another interesting part of our, our industry right now is that the two of us, we very much thought of ourselves as a production brewery. And if, and if you think about, you know, the places we're going to visit and what a brewery tap room was, you know, there's a lot of people now and even though they're opening a brewery, I mean, I think what they're really opening in their head is a tap room. It certainly can be a viable business. And I think on a local level, there's ways to find success opening a tap room, but we closed at eight o'clock, you know, for the first couple of years and we we're open three days a week. Like we weren't trying to be, you know, some kind of massive destination. Like we wanted to, to be a production brewery. And um, that part of it, like we thought we'd just be in there, you know, talking to a handful of people and pouring them beers, but the whole world of tap rooms exploded and people were excited to go to them. And so that, that piece of the business grew quickly for us too, in a way that we hadn't anticipated. We, yeah. again, we, we thought we'd just be, um, you know, talking about beer and until eight o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, when we first started talking about, uh, you know, getting on this path that, you know, nobody, nobody was opening breweries, you know, there, there were very, there were very, very few breweries in general. I mean, so it, you know, I think we, we didn't, we had to have like a really strong kind of plan with, you know, some longer term implications because, you know, in 2003, you're, you know, you had a better chance of playing in the NBA than operating a brewery just from a sheer numbers standpoint. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I gave up my very promising career uh, as a, as a power forward to write about beer for a living. So yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you decline the draft workout. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to <laughs> jump back just just a little bit, though, because you mentioned, um, uh, David, when you were in Chicago, um, or I guess Kellen, when, when, when you were there, uh, and you were at Rock Bottom, and that brewery chain, I don't think gets enough credit for how influential it's been with laying down a foundation of at least your generation of American brewers. And I'm guessing you're a member of the order of the black Phoenix, the former yeah. brewers of, okay. Um, uh, which for those who don't know, it's, it's, it's this not so secret anymore society of uh, brewers that spent time at, at, at rock bottom. Um, but when you were starting off and you were there in, I guess like what? Oh, eight, Oh nine around then. Um, yeah you had this whole network of brewers that came before you that you could sort of rely on. And it's been this tight knit community. Um, I, I know from viewing it from a distance, is there something that exists these days or like, and I'm not asking for you to reveal the new secret society, but is there, <laughs> is there still a need for a similar network like then, or I mean, has social media sort of, and text messages and DMS and all that sort of changed the nature of what that original group was. I mean, I think the, the need is there's that need is always there. Um, but I, I think in large part, it's just, it's just sort of gone. And, and I would say that I, uh, I mean, I had a, a huge roster of very experienced brewers that I could ask questions of and, uh, especially 
like old school rock bottom. Um, <clears throat> and I say that, you know, like when I oh, started yeah. working for rock bottom, there, there was no, there was no recipe that we had to follow for anything. Um, and, and all honesty, I think they were kind of nuts. Um, but it, it, it really allowed brewers at individual locations to completely, you know, either just sink to the bottom or, uh, swim like a crazy person if they wanted to. Um, and you know, they, they gave us, you know, what we needed to succeed without, without getting in our way. Um, you know, basically the mantra was, you know, if if it sells, you did a good job, you know, that was kind of, (laughs) that was really like all that, you know, all that, that mattered to, to some degree. Um, I mean, you had to have something light and drinkable on tap. That was, well, of you know, course. but it, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, no one was trying to tell you you had to use this malt or anything like that. I, I, I definitely wouldn't be the brewer that I am without, without having worked at rock bottom, but also just, uh, just the Chicago brewing scene, uh, you know, around that time was oh, yeah. incredible. So, you know, I, I feel like I had a lot of folks to, uh, bounce ideas off of and, uh, you know, people that had been in it, you know, quite a bit longer than I was that, you know, could critique and, uh, you know, offer very honest, uh, unbiased opinions about things that each other were making. So, um, I don't know. It was a, it was a magical time for me. Yeah. I mean, so leaving Chicago, going to Memphis, which did not have a great craft beer scene, let's say, uh, when you all opened up was it weird sort of being the oasis yeah like, was it i mean fr- okay. yeah yeah it was uh it was very strange and i mean i i would routinely you know i would still call people in chicago and ask them you know here's what's going on what are we and uh i don't know if are you familiar with john laffler from off color uh yeah so I just, you know, he and I would talk, you know, sometimes, but not a whole bunch. And then, you know, one day I just called him and I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? And he was like, at the end of the phone call, he was like, why are you calling me? Like we, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, you never called me when we were in Chicago and I was like, yeah, but we used to see each other all the time. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, I'm a, not down the street kind of a, anymore. Yeah. Right. It was kind of a funny, like change of, uh, <laughs> you know, our, a change of our friendship, you know, cause it was like, now we just kind of have to talk on the phone cause we don't, I'm not in Chicago. All the time. I, it's so, you know, I, I know about beer, but I'm not a brewer and don't have that training. And so I think David was really missing those peers when he was here and, and I can't, I couldn't provide that level of expertise, but I'm just chiming in because I think I, when I saw Laffler, I'd met him like going to visit David and, and he told me about that phone call and he said like he hung up and he was like, Am I David's best friend? Like, I didn't think <laughs> David and I were that close, but, you know, I think maybe we are. <laughs> David said it was a magical time, and, you know, it. they all, you know, it was Laffler, um, Tim Marshall was a solemn oath, and Jared mm-hmm. Rubin, you know, mm-hmm. was, it, he was still a goose at the time, I think, making all these food beers, and yeah. certainly yeah. Matt Gallagher from Half Acre, but they all, they all had this incredible mutual respect, and they, they didn't want to copy each other at all, I think was a really unique part of it too. Everybody kind of had their different things they were great at and um, the mutual respect and like admiration and like love that all those guys had for each other in that time, I think was pretty special, but he certainly was missing, you know, having 
peers when you <laughs> in Memphis, and maybe you know when we opened up. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just I, I felt like everybody was, uh, you know, because of our you know kind of our influence on each other. Everybody was just making incredible beer. Um, it was just super exciting to me. I mean, I, have you ever been to Peace in Chicago? Oh yeah, of course. It's a I mean, wonderful brew pub. Yeah, and some of the yeah, best pizza I mean, in town, actually. But yeah, it's great pizza. But John Cutler's beers are just freaking incredible. And mm-hmm. I, I uh, being there also kind of influenced me a bunch, just because like you can't even see the brewery in that place. Like it doesn't. I mean, there yeah. is an incredible brewery there, but you just wouldn't even know it was there. Uh, you know, it kind of it kind of shaped my ideas on what you know what what that could be as well. What, what do you mean? You know, by you that? can win you you can win people over with beers. They don't even have to see the fact that it doesn't have to be a show, you know, cause rock bottom is a show. Yeah. But I mean, so many breweries are designed that way as well. I mean, I've always found that to sort of be charming about breweries um, with maybe the exception of what was it? Um, there's the brewery that's at Epcot center in, in, in Disney where rich Michael was. And there's a few other uh, guys who were there. Um, where they were like made to mash in at seven o'clock at night for the dinner crowd so that people could actually like see the process. And it was like being in a show. Um, that's the only place that I've heard where it's not where the brewers like really kind of hated it. Um, but having it behind the scenes though, that, that there's an appeal to that. Do you think? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the appeal is just winning over customers without, it being like, Oh, it's a brewery, you know, it's just like, Oh, this is a delicious beer and I'm going to come back for it again. Um, you know, it's fine to me that it all happens behind the scenes. Yeah. But I mean, it's happening. The production is happening behind the scenes, but you all focused quite a bit on education and everybody who's there is, is, is pretty knowledgeable and is eager to get the word out and explain flavors and explain processes and ingredients and, and, and all of that. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of that was a decision that that we made, just knowing that uh, we were both coming from places that were uh, like very almost like beer centric, and uh, and I should say like you know different beer centric. I mean, I think Memphis is a very beer centric place, but um, you know there's a, there's a pretty strong BMC uh, hold on <laughs> on Memphis. Yeah. So we knew that we were going to have to do a lot of educating. There's a pretty terrible Netflix show that uh, made 2020 even worse last year called Bruce brothers. And uh, it was all about, you know, two brothers getting involved in a, in, in a brewery. And I hope you guys didn't see it because it was just, I haven't seen it. It's just fucking awful. Um, I mean, it's just, it, it, there's, there's no good redeeming factors of, of, of that show. Um, <laughs> But it did bring up sort of this dynamic of what is it like having two brothers who are close, uh, responsible for the same business. And we've obviously seen other brother duos uh, or, you know, trios set up and, and, and do quite well. Kurt and Rob Widmer early on, uh, the Hendler brothers up at Jack's Abbey, um, to name a modern example and a past example. Were there conversations that you all had early on of separating family from business or is that just an impossible task? Yeah, I would, I would say it's kind of an impossible task, but I would say that 
it's kind of a saving grace too, because we, I mean, we ultimately have to respond to being brothers before it's even a business, I think. And, uh, you know, we were a family way before we were a brewery. Um, so I, I think those, at least to, I mean, I think to both of us, those things always come first. Um, and we might get in arguments about the business, but at the end of the day, we're, we're still, we're still brothers who love each other and it's not, the business can only get in the way for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's mostly a strength. I, I think there's times where we, I don't think we speak in code, but we like, you know, can understand each other in ways that maybe sometimes we have to over communicate to staff to make sure they get it. But I think early on my, our dad was like super about it. And like, we kind of had like a, went to lunch with him and we're like, here's what we want to do. And we like shook hands and stuff. And my mom was like, don't do it. <laughs> like, you know, I, don't, don't start the business. Like I can't imagine my sons, you know, having something like this go between them. And I, I understand that cause that would be awful now that I have kids to think yeah. about, but you know, it's all intertwined and like, you know, we, we called each other this morning on the way into work and it's like, Oh, Hey, you know, here's what my son did this weekend. And then like, what the hell is going on with, you know, such and such in production. And like, then it's like, well, ha ha. And you know, here's what we did this weekend. And like, it, it all kind of goes together, <laughs> but I think we have, you know, pretty clearly drawn lines and like, there's, you know, there's ultimate trust too. So, I mean, I guess the two things that I think of is that we have total trust that we're doing the right thing for the business and not like for selfish reasons, which, can be tough. And I think we also, um, we know how to communicate with each other, at least on a like conflict resolution. Okay. We can get through it real quickly. We can be brutally honest with each other and use bad words, but also know that like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Like two minutes later, we're, we're, you know, friends and we're laughing again, but we can get through challenging stuff. And I think that helps the business. Because we're, you know, it's, there's, there's always production and sales kind of back and forth, but we're able to like kind of get through those things and move forward. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think that's, if you're going to do it, that sounds like you guys went in with your eyes wide open and are, are, are making it work. Um, earlier on, you mentioned your, your, your father was pushing you uh, to find the joy in learning. And, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of your time. And so as we're starting to wrap up here, where are you finding joy in learning these days? And I'm asking that of both of you. I think mine is a lot of it is just like the continued uh, trying to get a better understanding of kind of, uh, I don't know, business management and, and people management and, uh, you know, uh, how to help people get along with one another and understand one another, um, uh, which I it's it's not a traditional like book education it's more just like life experience and yeah uh, <laughs> seeing seeing how things work out um that's what i would say i mean i you really like cooking i love cooking <laughs> i mean i i am reading a book around the subject david was talking about and it's the kind of stuff that i feel like you know when i was younger probably when we were younger we would have made fun of but you know, our business is something that we care about and the people here we care about. And so, you know, I think you've got to try to continue to grow and change 
personally and as a, as a business. And so that becomes like a fun endeavor to read, you know, books and try to get better um, at other parts of the business that we, you know, weren't really focused on when we opened up. So I don't know if you were talking about business or, or personal. No, but I, I think I, it's been. Important. I, I was. I didn't have any sort of particular. I just. I, I. I liked that. That was sort of your dad's advice. You know, find the joy in learning and whatever that entails. Yeah. Oh, he really just lived it too. I mean, he would just, and he just. It's just natural for him. He's like a big kid. I mean, he had a good career. He's not like immature, but he just he finds joy in life and he'd sit there and read the encyclopedia growing up and be like, look at this. And, you know, it was, it was all about fun for him and, uh, and joy. So I think for me, it's been important to like kind of find some distinction. I think it was the first couple of years that really felt like there were blurry lines between like me and the business. And, you know, uh, it's, I think it's important that there's like some separation, like I have a family and, um, that's important and being able to have interests and hobbies, like started, you know, riding a bike and stuff like that more. And like, so it's fun to learn about bikes and like, you know, just to spend time. That's like, not, not just beer, but just, you know, don't let the business consume you and become your identity. Like you have to have a separate thing that makes you who you are. Yeah. Like Jamba so, Juice. Yeah. That's we're that's what we're doing next is, <laughs> we're already moving on. Sorry, you were being all sincere. You're being all nice. You're talking about your dad. You're, you know, having nice fond memories. And then I just come and drop an old joke. So, yeah, sorry. It's a good joke, though. I mean, it, I can't, because people just text us and email us like anything they see about beer all the time. And some, you know, a friend of mine was like, this thing's pretty good. And I was like, why don't you just go to Jamba Juice and pour some vodka in it? Because that's, you know, it's the lines between beer and, it's they're really blurry right now, and it's it's fine if that thing tastes good, but it just doesn't really seem like beer, you know. The, is, is that is that the type of stuff that you're texting your best friend uh, John Laffler that he should be doing yeah. uh, slushy beers? <laughs> he does some crazy stuff. He that does is still beer and it's still delicious. Yeah, I had some blueberry skin something or other last time I was up there, and it was incredible. He does like all the low ABV full of flavor. Oh, I love drinking his beer. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a fan. Um, well guys, thanks for taking the time this morning and, 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 and talking with me. I mean, I know we could go on for, for hours and hours and, um, I just, I hope you'll come back again so we can go deeper into some of the beers that you guys are making and, uh, all the charitable work and all the, the other stuff that you guys are doing that I, that I had written down that we just weren't able to get to. Um, today and hopefully uh, two shots in the arm, I'll be able to come and visit you all in person. But um, thanks for doing yeah, this. For sure. My thanks to David and Kellen for being on the show. And be sure to check out Wiseacre online and certainly in person when you can. And see if you can find their beers in a growing number of states. Consult your local beer shop for the offerings. Who do you want to hear on the show? Tell me through email. I'm John Hall. It's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com or John underscore Hall on Twitter. And be sure to check out BeerEdge.com for articles to subscribe to the newsletter and to get episodes of the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. 
We're also on social media at The Beer Edge. And don't forget, Steal This Beer every Monday at 5 o'clock and the BYO Nano Podcast with new episodes on the 15th of every month. And yes, we have expanded our This Week in Roush Beer offerings. Not only do we have the Facebook group, but we also have Twitter and Instagram accounts that are sorely neglected at this point, but I'm going to get better at it. Get Roushy with us at TW Roush Beer. And if you're interested in advertising, we have surprisingly affordable rates, and we'd love to tell you more. You can reach out directly to Liz Melby. She's out on email at liz at beeredge.com. And speaking of advertising, we are grateful for this episode's sponsor, Bolide Communications. Do you have the right messages in place to make your brewery stand out in a crowded field? Are you executing with trusted partners who know the beer industry? Are you receiving the right counsel? Bolide Communications is a creative and strategic marketing consultancy with decades of experience working with some of the biggest names in beer and consumer products. Bolide Communications offers a wide range of marketing services to satisfied customers, including positioning, sales collateral and POS, branding, website design, public relations, and social media. Talk with Bolide Communications today on how they can get your brewery and beer to stand out to audiences that matter. Visit them online at bolinecommunications.com or call them directly at 973-975-3037. You already make great beer. Let Bolide Communications help with the rest. That's it for this week. Nate Schweber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. Remember to defend Pilsner. I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.